Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, thank you, thank you, and uh, welcome uh, again for those who are joining us online and those who are right here. Uh, Peace be unto you. You know, it's interesting that peace, that word, is a greeting in several languages. Salam or assalamu alaikum in Arabic, shalom in Hebrew. And I, and I, I was just sitting there wondering, what is it about the human condition that causes us to want peace so much that we even use it in our greetings with each other? Could it be that for not just the last week, or the last year, but throughout human history, there's been such a lack of peace and a longing for peace that we even greet each other with those things because we are desiring it. It's something that has been on my mind as just, it seems like every time you look up, there's another tragedy, another shooting, today two more, another injustice in the world, coded in race, another just issue. And we can so much desire this sense of peace, but it can even feel so far. You ever been there? Last week, we looked at how the Holy Spirit was the promise of Jesus for peace in a troubled world. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. And we kind of set the foundation for the theological understanding of this aspect of peace. But I know a lot of us are like, okay, but preacher, tell me how to experience it, though. Like, how how do I get some of that in in a time in which it just seems like there's chaos all around me? Raise your hand if you'd like some peace. You know, some, some spiritual connection. And I know I'm one of that number. And it's a good, and you're not alone. Uh, you know, I'm into stats often, and I like to look at those things. And there's an a, a entity that collects a lot of data around faith called the Barna Group. And a couple years ago, they did uh, a survey because they connected this idea of spiritual growth, and, and they were curious about that. Like, how do people see this aspect? And what they found was 77% of Christians believe it is very important to see growth in their spiritual life. And even among non-practicing Christians, people who rarely ever attended church, and even among those who would consider themselves inactive spiritually, over 37% said that it was very important to grow spiritually. And I think this aspect of growing spiritually and and peace is, is very much connected and tied to what Jesus talks about in John 14 and John 15. He talks about the, the coming of the Spirit and how he's going to give us peace. But then in 15, he, 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 go, he takes that a step further. Now, this is important for us. We've been going through this book of John for months. And, and this is the part where from 13 till the uh, crucifixion is called the farewell discourse. 
It records his last words to his disciples. If you have one of those uh, Bibles that, that colors it in red, and from 13, 14, 15, you see a whole lot of red. It's a lot of Jesus' teaching. And because he's about to depart from them, this is his last few days on earth. He's, he's, he's giving them and he's imparting them to how important it is for them to have the sense of peace, how important it is for them to grow through the Holy Spirit. And, and so in chapter 15, he gives them an allegory. Now, an allegory is a type of a, an extended metaphor uh, that you, you, you know, some of those who study literature might know. It's an, and it, it uses one thing to talk about a different reality. And this particular allegory is one that would have been immediately very comfortable for them and, and, and something they would have been aware of because they were people of the land. And he gives this, this example from, from agriculture. But to grasp the power of this extended metaphor, we kind of have to leave our urban experience of the concrete jungle and, and, and try to transport ourselves to another place. Because... When we want some fruit or produce, where do we go? The grocery store, right? That's our version of getting fruit and vegetables. Well, their version was from the earth. There was no grocery store. It came from the ground. And in particular, we have to remember, too, that ancient Israel is essentially in the middle of a very arid land, even semi-desert. And so it was difficult for them to farm, and there were only seven really major crops that really show up in the agriculture of Israel. And we see them represented throughout the, the scriptures as part of their offering system and worship. It was wheat, barley, those were the two grains, and the rest are all fruits, figs, pomegranates, olives, dates, and grapes. Now, of those, grapes were particularly important because they were mostly used for the creation of wine. Amen. And so that was very important, not only for their drinking, and but also for offering to God. They offered God drink offerings. But also because, again, you got to transport ourselves to a time. Imagine being in a semi-arid desert where there's not a whole lot of access to water. For some people... Actually, wine was more abundant and easily accessible to find something, anything to drink than even water was. And so vineyards and the creation of vineyards and the sustaining of vineyards was something that was incredibly important. But there was a challenge because of all the things of all those different vegetables and fruits and, and, and produce, grapes were the most sensitive and difficult to cultivate and to grow. And so they became a metaphor throughout the scripture for talking about the people of Israel symbolically. In Isaiah chapter 5, listen to what this is. I'm getting somewhere. I'm just setting some background. Isaiah chapter 5 says, my loved one had a vineyard, a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, this is known as part of Isaiah's uh, vineyard song. And it's a song that as you go throughout the rest of the chapter, you can go back and look at it. It's a song about Israel. God depicts Israel as a, a, a vineyard, as, as, as someplace that he looked at, you know, he cleared stones, he, he planted it, he built a watchtower for protection, and it only yielded bad fruit and not good grapes. 
And the problem is that almost every instance where God compares Israel to a vine is negative in the scriptures. Because, think about it, the picture here, he's painting. God revealed himself to the people, like personally, directly to Moses. He delivered them out of bondage and slavery and exodus. He, he put them in a promised land, like planted them in this nice fertile land where they could grow. He, he, but what did they do in response? They rebelled against him. Instead of seeing the produce and the results of their labor come as good fruit, it was nothing but bad fruit. They were unjustly exploiting the poor. They were violent. They worshiped idols. And they produced oftentimes nothing but bad fruit to the point where God ends up expelling them from the very land that he had planted them into. But we know about that. This idea when you invest a lot into something and it doesn't produce much. We call them in the, in the vehicle in the vehicle space. We call those lemons. You know about a lemon where you know you, 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 a lemon is a type of car where somebody puts a lot of money into it and a lot of repair. To, then the transmission goes out. And then they go, okay, man, that's that's a lot of money. But you know what? It's still better than trying to get another car. So you put a couple thousand dollars in the transmission, and then a the month two later, the engine block goes. Okay, well, all right. Well, I'm in New York, so people like cars. I don't I don't get it. Um, how about a degree? You know about that degree. You put in some student loan work. You put in four years, five years, sometimes six years of, of life. And then you get and graduate and you got the degree and no fruit. How come it's hard to find a job? Am I, am I getting close to you now? Anything that you invest and doesn't produce results, that's bad fruit. It becomes to look at as a bad investment. And so there's this change, this difference of good fruit and bad fruit that the scriptures point to, which is, uh, becomes a, a picture of, of the spirit and the fruitfulness of the spirit versus the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, we see this. It says, and Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. He goes down this list. Anger, strife, jealousy, divisions. This is the stuff of the flesh. Bad fruit. And then look at what he contrasts to in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. You see that word peace? Right wedged in the middle. Good fruit. Right now, if we were to inspect the tree of your life and come up close and look at the fruit, what kind of fruit would it produce? What we see? Love, joy, peace, patience, or anger, jealousy, sensuality. Well, Jesus said you should know a tree by its fruit. And it's in this context that we find ourselves in the first verse of chapter 15. Look at what he says. Remember what the context of who a vine was in Isaiah and throughout Israeli history. And now in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. It's hard to overstate how radical this is. First of all, we know that the statement itself, I am, was immediately tied to the divinity of God when he revealed himself to Moses in the first place. Who should I say sent me? I am. 
This is the last of Jesus' seven I am statements that he makes throughout that we've examined and looked at. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am. And then he says, I am the true vine. But this is particularly provocative because what he's saying when he says the true vine is he's saying that I am the one that ultimately is going to be the full fulfillment of the vineyard that produces the fruit that God had wanted throughout the Old Testament. It's me. That's, that's me. Y'all couldn't do it. The true vine. And he says that his father is the vine dresser. A vine dresser is a gardener, the one who, consistent with the Old Testament, prepares that land, plants the crops, and does all that it takes to prepare it for fruit. <clears throat> Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may produce more fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We're going to talk more about that a little later. And every branch that, he do, that does bear fruit, he prunes. The funny thing about this is like everybody gets a little bit of work here. Like either you're not producing nothing and you get taken away. Oh, you're producing something? Okay, let me prune you. Now again, a little bit of agriculture, a little bit of background. What is pruning? Pruning is the practice of targeted removal of diseased, damaged, dead, or non-productive plant material from branches. You see, sometimes a section of the vine would get infected, and it must be pruned. It must, you must cut that part out. It's like gangrene, that if you don't do anything with it, it'll, it'll, it'll end up spreading throughout the whole body, so they had to cut it off. Sometimes the issue was not that it was infected, but it simply was not productive. No fruit was coming out of it. And this was another type of a problem because it's just wasting time. It's, it's, it's causing, you're spending a lot of resources into it, but it's not producing any results. And then at others, it was because the fruit itself was sour because all of the sweetness was being distributed so far, so they had to prune it to consolidate it so that it could be more into formation of what they want to do. We want to hold that thought a little bit later, but you can see where Jesus is going with this because he does the same thing in our lives. There's stuff in our lives that are diseasing, that are, that are, that are, that are poisoning the fruit that he's wanting to create and to bear in us, so he has to cut that off. There's other parts of our lives that um, it just ain't productive. You know, there's stuff that you do, that we do, that just sucks time and energy from us. You look up and you go, how in the world did I just spend the last two or three hours doing this thing, playing this game, having this conversation that produced literally nothing for anybody in my life? Gotta get pruned. And then at other times, we just, it's for the greater good of something else that has to happen. So we have some habits that we have to let go of in order to be pruned. We have some things that may corrupt us that have to be cut off. You know, it's funny because when in the spiritual world, this sounds like such a, a harsh saying. But we know in other contexts, it's fine. Like, you know, if we have a physical uh, trainer, right, and they say, yo, you got to cut out those carbs, we go work because I see the goal that's ahead. And, or or let, let me get a little bit more gully with it. You at a bar. And the bartender says, no, no more. I'm cutting you off 
Because if I were to continue to dispense with these spirits, you will end up hurting yourself and those around you. You got to get cut off. Well, Jesus then says to us that there are some relationships that you have to cut off. There's some locations that you have to remove from your destinations. There are things and habits that need to be cut off. I, I mean, get a little personal because it, it happens to all of us. So, you know, especially over the last year and the pandemic, everything was happening. I would get into the habit of plugging my phone next to me in my bed. And as soon as I opened my eyes in the morning, as soon as the alarm went off, look to see what the news was. And it would create this angst, this frustration, and completely set the trajectory of my, t my day in this area where I'm not firstly thinking about God, but I'm thinking about the situations and problems around me. It did not produce peace. So God spoke to me and said, no, you got to cut that off. I want the first thing to uh, be in your mind is worship. I want the first thing to be connection with me. The reality is the real truth of who I am is over and supersedes what's happening around you. But that was getting thrown off from me. So Jesus cuts off whatever cuts us off from abiding in him. That's pruning. That's part of abiding. But look, at, if we go further, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It's interesting, this word clean, you might go, wait, everything, you know, clean. What, what is he talking about there? And what it's referring to is, oh, because of the word that I've already spoken to you, because you, you saved, like you've been pure, purified. Theologically, you know who I am. Ethically, you, you've started to live right. However, even though you were saved, that is not the end of the story. You must remain in me in order to bear fruit. And fruit that remains. And that word abide in the Greek is the word meno. It, it, it could be translated as remain. Some of your translation says remain with me or in me. Another is kind of this aspect of living with, of dwelling with me. Dwell with me. Stay with me. And it's only in the context of doing that can you produce fruit. Because if you ever notice, I just want you to think for a second. What's your favorite fruit? My favorite fruit is pineapples. I love pineapples, man. Yeah, that's it, man. But I know sometimes I'm frustrated. I got to get that like really yellow pineapple because sometimes you get them pale joints that's just like they're crunchy and it's just, ugh, it's just not, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like ripe, juicy pineapples. And here's the interesting thing about fruit. Whatever that fruit is that you thought of that's your favorite, you see, what happens when you get one that's not that good, like when it's just, it, it, what, someone had took the fruit off before it was fully ripened. And because they took it off, it never met maturity. You see, fruit, it doesn't matter how long you keep it, uh, how long it stays around after it's plucked, it will only mature to the point in which it was disconnected from the vine. Once it gets disconnected from the vine, it, there is no more maturity. There is no more development. There's no more sweetness to its taste that it can happen. It can only, so Jesus is saying, abide in me and I in you because you can't bear fruit without me. 
You have to stay connected for your fruit to continue to ripen over time. And even if you put your fruit in the fridge, even if you try to do something to keep it and slow it from dying, the reality is either you're abiding from the source or you're dying just a little bit slower. Those are two choices. It may not look like it's actually death immediately, but it's still happening. Who or what are you abiding or dwelling in? Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of significance, nothing of substance, nothing of eternal lasting fruit. Why? Because branches get their life from the vine. If you can see the picture of grapes, right? Like there's this long, thick part that is the vine, and then it comes off, and, and you see the, the, the connection off of that is the branch. I think we have a picture, an image of it. And then underneath that are these, this, these, these, these uh, clusters of fruit. And the thing that's both a challenge and also an encouragement when you think about it is what this, what Jesus is saying is that for you to have that power, you got to have that juice. Some of us know a little bit about juice. And what he's saying is the same juice that I had, you have if you stay connected to me. The power that I have inside of me, you got the juice now. If you stay connected. But if you don't stay connected, then it's all off. You know, it reminds me, we see this all the time, you know, with these little devices that we have. You know what I'm talking about. You have the device and, you know, you're going for a long day and you've been using it for various different purposes. And then that little flash comes up that says 20% low battery. And if you choose to ignore that, and keep going about your day, it doesn't matter how much that phone costs, it doesn't matter how many apps you bought, how many premium services you downloaded, how many Netflix streaming that access, Hulu, whatever else you got, once the battery is dead, there's no power. And it takes time, but eventually, the longer you go away from the source, the longer it will weaken to the point of not being able to function at all. Lasting productivity flows out of abiding with Christ. That's the only source of, of a real lasting productivity. See, so for a while, it can start to look like there's no harm in being detached. You can seem to be going off your own education, your own character, your own personality. But after a while, that just drains. And I find myself empty. Verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, this is why it's helpful and important for us to remember that this is an allegory. Because you see, this verse is a hotly debated verse in theological circles, some saying that this is evidence that someone can lose their salvation. Because you see, the branch was a part of the vine, and then it got separated, and then they say it got thrown into hell, right? Fire, burn. 
Others who defend or who reject that notion and believe in eternal security say, no, that's not what it's saying. It's saying something different. But here's a case where I think both sides and both people are missing the point of the allegory. And they're trying to strain to find things that's not really there. Remember that the picture here that Jesus is drawing is an example of what he's saying. The emphasis of the entire text is abiding, not salvation. He's already told them in chapter 14 and 13 that you are mine. He's already told them, and he's about to say again, like, I've chosen you, and nobody can pluck you out of my hand. That has been settled, but what he's trying to draw them attention to is that in the context of agriculture, if something is not producing fruit, then it's useless. And at that point, it's just firewood. That's the point. If eternal life can be lost, then it's not eternal. At a shelf life. <laughs> but we can only bear fruit when we abide in Christ. Well, how do we abide in Jesus? That was where we started. Y'all still like, okay, but you still didn't tell me how to do it. I'm just setting it up, but we're going to spin through. I didn't forget. <laughs> okay, so one thing that will help us to see this. This was amazing as I studied this. Is at a vineyard, you will see some pillars that ho are holding up the vines, right? We have an image of that too. It's, uh, they're, they're, you know, there are these pillars. It's called a trellis. And the trellis is, it does several things. It serves several key purposes in a vineyard, other than just cool wedding pictures, right? Like that's what we kind of think, but no, that, it actually serves a point. The first is that unlike a tree that just grows up, a vine cannot support itself, so it needs some structure to be able to, 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 to grow appropriately. Second, it keeps the vines off the ground because if they go on the ground, there's bugs that start to eat the fruit and, and it's disease that gets onto it from the ground. So, so, so the trellis help keeps it up with through these pillars. And then thirdly, they help spread out the vines so that the canopy that is created, that they get equal exposure to the sun. It's easier for the vine dresser or the gardener to prune it, and it creates and it spurs on healthy growth. So they need the pillars to abide. They, they, because without them, and then the same thing spiritually, we need pillars because without them, we would not be able to be held up. <laughs> These pillars need to keep us out of the dirt of life. And then finally... They help us get exposure to the sun. Oh, no, no, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. We need that exposure to the sun. And as I was looking at this, I was reminded of the pillars that we talk about as, as, as the church, the, first, the five pillars that, that we say, this is how you develop into a solid, healthy, maturing Christian. And guess what? They're all here. Watch, watch, this is amazing. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The first pillar is prayerful. Being, we, we, we abide in Christ by being prayerful. Now, I have to give some clarification like we did last time when it says whatever you ask, it's, not, it's saying that in the context of asking in the reputation, in the name of Jesus, which we covered last week, is not just saying in the name of Jesus at the end of it, but actually in the reputation and the likeness and the agenda of Jesus, right? But, but he says, if you ask, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. This sense of prayerfulness is the utter essence of abiding in Jesus. How are you going to have a relationship with somebody you don't talk to? 
He invites us for that sense of communication. And I, I just would challenge you to make that a point in your day. Put it in your phone like it's an appointment. We set up appointments with everybody else. How about setting up an appointment with Jesus? He goes on in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. The key part of what Jesus is saying is essential to abiding in his love is, look, keep my commands. Question. How do you know what Jesus commanded? Ah, it's not a true question. <laughs> There's only one source that actually has Jesus' commandments in the, in the entire world. It's called the New Testament. It's called the Gospels. How do I understand how to keep his commandments? I have to actually read his commandments to know what they are. He says, if you keep my commands, my love will remain in you just as I have kept my father's commands. This is what I love about Jesus. Every time he tells us to do something hard, he says, and I'm doing it too. I'm doing it too. Everything I tell you to do, I'm doing too. I'm telling you to keep my commands, I keep my father's commands. And guess what? His father's commands had him go to the cross. So who has it more difficult? <laughs> Whoever's, and this is a key thing. And for, seriously, there are many of us who are struggling because there are words that someone told us when we were young. And they have implanted themselves in us as seeds and shape the way that we look at ourselves. I remember, you know, even when I go back home, it's like you go back home and it's in time warp and the same jokes and the same stories just emerge. But when I was super, like, when I was like five, six years old, like I, I always, 50% of my frame was my head and my belly and everything else was just kind of like sticking around. But they were like, oh, man, you just had this huge belly. You had this. So I grew up, no matter how thin I got, thinking I'm just a kid with the big belly. And that was how I saw myself. Many of us have been told you're worthless. You're just like your dad. You don't have value. You're stupid. And those are the words that have taking root in our lives. And Jesus is saying, when he says, keep my commands, he's not just talking about instructions. He's talking about how you even see yourself. Because he says, I am your father. You have infinite worth because I created you and I saw you as so valuable, I died for you. But you see, whoever's words we dwell on shapes who we become. So when we talk about dwelling and abiding we have to think about, well, which words am I abiding in? And, and this is why it's so important to have my definition and my self-identity found in the scriptures. We abide in Christ by being biblical. It can save your life to hear a good word about who you are and whose you are. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I love this where Jesus said, oh, by the way, this isn't like painful. One of the greatest lies and deceptions that, that the world tells us is that somehow that this Christian life is just drudgery and boringness and that's about it. 
You gotta, you give your life to Christ, you are giving up the enjoyment and the fun that really is there. And this is the same lie from the garden. God didn't tell you not to eat this fruit because something bad will happen to you. He knows that he'll, if you eat it, you'll be just like him. That's really what it is. But Jesus says here that no, this is not about duty, it's about devotion. He says, look, I do this and I'm telling you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is about worship, not just work. You know, I got to experience this. Uh, you know, we talk about our growth groups and, you know, these are, we just launched them this year in our church. And we had a, I had a meeting with the growth group leaders that I connect with about eight of them. And, 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 and we met yesterday and it was just such a joy to hear how the stories of, of what's happening in the spiritual transformation that's happening in, in the community. That wasn't work. It was a hard lot. Tamika and my wife and I, we, we got off that call. It was like, wasn't that just encouraging to hear what's happening? And if, and if you, you know, have heard about these groups and you want to sign up, you know, we're going to relaunch them in the fall and you'll have that opportunity. But, but the key thing is, is that the joy comes from being reminded of what God has already done in your life. We abide by being grateful. What are you grateful for? I know that there's some things you're disappointed about, but what are you grateful for? Now, the last two of the pillars, um, it's interesting that they're, they're more directed toward uh, our horizontal dynamic than just the vertical. And, and the reality is, in spite, they, they might be a bit counterintuitive, and these might be a bit more difficult to grasp because some of us have been influenced so much by Western individualism that we think as long as it's just me, myself, and I, and Jesus, I'm good. But that is not what Jesus prescribes, that you cannot abide in Jesus by just simply being in your room, praying and reading by yourself. We cannot abide in Christ without community. He didn't design us that way. Why do we know that? Because he didn't design himself this way. God is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why do I think I could be by myself and be all that I'm supposed to be? Look at what he said. Have you ever seen a cluster of one grape? <laughs> I mean, unless somebody ate a bunch of more, like they don't start that way, right? Look at what he says. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the culmination of abiding. This isn't an afterthought. He's like, all right, y'all, now that this is hitting your stride, now that you get your, con your connection with me and your intimacy developed, this is where the rubber hits the road. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. Well, what does that look like to Jesus? What does he mean by love one another? I'm so glad you asked because he explains it in verse 12. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. You want to know what love looks like? Sacrifice. The introverts in the house are like, amen. <laughs> it's sacrificial to just be in the space with other people when I'd rather be by myself. I get that. But there, that sacrifice also looks like loving people who have let you down. That's, that's almost become out of favor today and nowadays where it's easier to just cut people off and cancel them when they disappoint you. But Jesus is selling this to a group of people who he knows are about to scatter when he needs them the most. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Also, parenthetically here, it's another important point. 
He says, and I call you friends, not just servants, because a friend knows what the master or what, what, what someone is telling them to do. A servant doesn't know what the, you know, doesn't know the reasoning behind it. And the thing that I find so interesting is that Jesus, of all the types of relationships that in, the, in this late hour, right before he's about to die, that he decides to frame his relationship with the disciples with is friendship. And so often in our culture, we devalue friendship to the point that we think that I don't have significance if I don't have a significant other. If I don't have a romantic relationship involved, then that means I can't be fully myself. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus says, look, right now, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for a friend, that you can be all of who you are called to be as a human being with just friendship. Amen to myself. And once again, he doesn't just talk it, but he walks it by giving his life for his friends. He showed us himself when he sacrificed for the very people who let him down. And then he tells us to go and do the same. It's necessary for us to be together. And I think this time during the pandemic, hopefully that, that, that just our sense of social distancing has kind of made that more obvious and clear. It feels like key aspects of who we are are missing when we don't have that same aspect of connection. We abide in Christ by being unified. And sometimes being unified means being sacrificial enough to try to have that conversation when someone offended me or hurt me and, and, and pressing through that for the sake of the relationship. Now, of course, there's sometimes people are, can be messy, right? And, I, and, it, and it's sometimes, you, you know, you got to move on from things. I'm not saying being dysfunctional, toxic relationship, but I'm saying that the runway of that is probably a lot longer than what we think. But I love what Jonathan, my man, Jonathan McReynolds in his song, People, he starts off by saying, they are the best and the worst you created. And I was like, yo, that's so true. Deliver me from people. <laughs> and I feel that. And it's hard sometimes. But if we're not loving sacrificially, we are not abiding in Christ. Well, the last of the principles that we talk about, and that's right here in the text, he says, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give to you. So he ties up this aspect of abiding, of relationship with this aspect of appointed. He says that you have been anointed and you have been appointed. And appointed means that there's some instruction that you are to follow. You've been chosen to live out a call that you did not call for yourself, but that the Father has called for you. And that means we have to be aligned to what God says. Why is it easier when somebody says get information? We like, hey, yeah. But when God says get information, it's like, well, now wait a minute, I'm an individual and I have my own choices and I don't know. But the reality is that, as Jesus said, that, that our joy can be full because guess what? The owner and the one who created you know how you work better than you know how you work. And he, and he designed us in such a way that sometimes we don't get the full revelation of that until we're in interaction and community with other people who can say, you know, you're really good at this. And we go, and, but because somebody had told us something else about ourselves or we thought something else, we don't even see that, that potential in us and it takes somebody else to see it. We abide in Christ when we are aligned. 
And sometimes, especially in the context of church, in any work, wherever, that alignment also means following. You know, you can't be a leader if you don't know how to be a good follower. Like, that's part of the process, right? And so this aspect of alignment comes in. He says, when you do all these things together, then you can abide. Then you can see the Holy Spirit producing fruit in your life. And that, and that fruit can produce, uh, can be used for other people. The funny thing about fruit is that a tree doesn't consume its own fruit. <laughs> fruit is only for other people. It is used for serving. It, it, a, fruit, a tree doesn't go, mm, my fruit tastes good. <laughs> It's other people that commends it, right? And in the context of Israel, when it has this picture of grapes, it turned it into wine. And then it was like, now wine could either be a blessing or a curse, depending on how much you drink it and what purposes. The great theologian, Jamie Foxx, said it this way. Blame it on the booze. Got you feeling loose. Blame it on the throne. Got you in the zone. Blame it on the... I, 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 oh, now nobody don't know the song. Okay, I'm the only one that was around in that song. Okay, fine. Blame it on the alcohol is what he was saying. And what he was in the song depicting is, look, there are things that happen and, and we make certain choices. And, you know, it's not really your fault. It's, it's not really, you can just drink uh, enough to get into a state of intoxication. And then when you do what you want to do, you don't have to blame yourself for it. You blame it on the alcohol. And, and, but God takes that and flips that in Galatians 5.18. He says, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Amen. He saw the video. But be filled with the Spirit. Look at the connection. He's saying, look, there is a type of filling that occurs. There is a type of transformation that occurs. But ultimately, the kind that you want, the kind that comes from abiding, comes from being filled with the Spirit of God. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, it produces something much dynamic, much better than just what, blaming it on the alcohol, but you can actually get to a place where you do stuff that you would never do on your own. Let me give you an example as I close. So yesterday, I flew out, I had a trip, uh, to, and we had a layover in Detroit on Friday. Layover in Detroit. And so I get to the gate, you know, it was about an hour, eat dinner, and I'm ready to get home. It's, about uh, nine o'clock. And so I get to scan the boarding pass and I go to the line to scan the boarding pass and it doesn't, it's the red, the green doesn't show up. It's like, are you sure you're in the right, you're getting on the right flight? And I'm like, I know it said New York. And then I looked and it said LGA and I was scheduled for JFK. They were next door to each other and they were departing within 10 minutes of each other. So I run, I thought I was in the gym. So I run just five feet away and the door is already closed. And she says, sorry, nothing I can do. The door is closed. And I'm like, wait, the LGA one is still open though. So I run back over and I go, hey, um, look, can I just get on this flight? It's the, it's the last flight. I'm trying to get home. And she looks at me, no joke. And she says, um, I don't have time for that. And then she just turns around, closes the door behind her and walks on the plane. And um, so then there was a, some customer service person left and, and this lady came behind me and she had her, uh, you know, people be having dogs and I'm like, I don't think that's a service animal. I think you just want your dog here. But um, so she starts going off on the lady and, and whatnot and I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's it. I'm not getting home tonight because this person chose, but it's not going to be of any service for me to just go off on this person that didn't have anything to do with that. 
So I get on the phone, they tell us to call the, their airline and, you know, tell them what happened. And I'm like, yo, can I get comps or something like the two? And they're like, no, we can't do that, but we'll, we'll get you on the next flight. And the guy was like, you know, thank you for, I know this is a very difficult situation, but I appreciate your patience. And I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> so I book a hotels and I'm like, man, I'm in Detroit over, I did not plan this. And I get up the next morning and I see a notification. You've been upgraded to first class. And I don't know who this is for, but here's the reality. In the destination of your life, you can't get to first class destinations with coach attitudes. If you want to abide in Christ and you have to have the spirit within you to be able to respond appropriately when difficulty and guess what? That abiding is tested the most with difficult people and circumstances. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you bearing fruit? If you have struggled with that, John the Baptist put it best. He said, um, bear fruits that are in keeping with repentance. And that just means we fall down, but we can get up. That that sense of fruitfulness doesn't just end when we fall short, but that we can also get to a place where God restores us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the fact that you want to abide with us. Like you want to get to know us. You're the creator of the universe, of the world and everything in it. We have fallen short so many times. We have broken your command so many times. We have acted in our flesh so many times. And yet and still, you prune us. You, you, you just are like a patient gardener who wants to see us bear fruit. Lord, we pray that you would help us to abide by being prayerful, by being biblical, by being grateful, by being unified with each other and by being aligned. And in doing so, allowing us to bear fruit that other people can taste and see that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.